Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good to see you. If this is your first time, I am so glad you're here. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we started a series, well, actually we're starting it today, that you just saw the title, A Church That Believes in Healing. Um, this next week, as uh, everybody knows, is the beginning of Obamacare. And that has been so, now I'm not going into politics, but that has been, that has been so controversial with some people. But the same is the same thing that's almost just as controversial at times in church is healing. God's healing and care for people in the church and how he wants to use the church to bring healing and care to hurting people. And uh, I mean, I find it curious that in the church we may struggle with believing that God could heal someone, divinely heal them, but we believe in a Savior who can go into the ground for three days and come out of that and then go to heaven, I mean, and sit at the right hand of the Father. I mean, He is an amazing God, is He not? I mean, He's a miraculous God. But then when we start talking about divine healing, could God actually spontaneously touch someone and heal them? We start struggling with it. We go, I, this is just not my experience. I, I'm not sure about it. So last week, i just kind of get you caught up to speed here. Last week, we finished a series on prayer. Four weeks we had been in it. And the last sermon, if you were here, you know, was basically uh, me talking about when God says no. When you've prayed and prayed and basically God is not going to answer your prayer the way that you want it answered. And I find it amazing and also very refreshing that Having prayed, or having preached that sermon at the end of the second, in the second service, at the end of the service, when we went back into worship, God healed a man. When I preached a sermon on, on God saying no, God says yes and heals a man. And I thought, that's just like you, God. In the second service, there was a guy uh, from another state sitting right back, about halfway back there. We got to a point in the service where and if you were here last week, at the same thing as far as the sense of God's presence happened in here in the second service, in the third service as well, where things just went quiet, but it wasn't an awkward silence. It was very much a very peaceful, I don't know how to describe it. It was one of those things where even the preacher doesn't get nervous. <laughs> and believe me, we preachers standing up here wanting to see the service move along can get extremely nervous when things get quiet. And things don't seem to be happening, but I knew something was happening. And this settled peace came on the church. And so I'm praying. I'm like, God, what are you doing? You know, what, what are you doing here? And do you want to, maybe you want to heal somebody. Maybe you want to touch somebody this morning. And, and so you know, I spoke it out and this I sensed, you know, that maybe it was a shoulder or something, and this guy in the back, you'd see him raise, he does his hand like this, you know, that's me. And so we prayed, the church prayed, and um, pretty soon I see his hand like this, and we go back into the service, we go back to worship, and I'm over here, 
worshiping away, and somebody, I feel somebody tapping me on the shoulder, and it's this man, and he, I look at him, and he goes, And this is an elderly gentleman, you know, and I mean, he's like doing the backstroke. And then this Cajun voice comes. He was a guest, he just hit the beach for a vacation. He goes, yeah, you, God touched me. I did not expect it to happen, you know. And he goes, but look, my vacation is going to be good. <laughs> and his wife goes, it's true, it's true. It's, you know, she's pointing at him. And I mean, it was like out of... Out of nowhere, God, God does that. It's, uh, nobody was more surprised than me. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of slow, but maybe God wants to talk to us about healing for a couple of weeks as we go into our 16th birthday when Phil and Jan Stroud are going to be here. Our national directors are going to be with us on our birthday and sharing here. I thought, why don't we take a little bit of time this Sunday and next Sunday to talk about what it means to be a church that believes in healing. What does that mean? And uh, I read this quote from Walter Wink. I thought it was very telling where he said, people with an attenuated sense, you know what attenuated means? It means small, thin, very small. So people with a small sense of what is possible will bring that conviction to the Bible and diminish it by the poverty of their own experience. Wow, the poverty of their own experience. If we have not experienced it, I guess it can't happen. I guess it doesn't happen. That's a poverty of experience. And uh, so we tend to think that it's not possible because it's not our experience. I like the term divine healing. I don't really care for the term faith healing. I think it's God that does the healing. He does it, so it's divine healing. When anyone is touched, it's him. And I also think that divine healing is not just that one moment that may happen where someone is healed physically, emotionally, or spiritually in that moment, but healing encompasses all of life and all of who we are, that God is very concerned with us emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of it, and that, that this life that God has called us to is a part of being perpetually healed in a way. God is making us whole. The churches, sometimes we, we sell this thing so short. We, you know, I, not, I love nothing better than to see people come to Christ and start their journey with Christ. I, it's, it's just who I am, I guess because I never got over it myself, because it's just as real to me now. 40, that 42 years ago at that surfing contest where Jesus came into my life, it's just as real. I can taste it right now just like it happened yesterday. And so I love to see people come to Christ. I love it. But that's not the end of things. You know, and we churches sometimes, what we can do is say, come down, make a decision, and then go back to your life. But that's not this. That's not the wholeness of what God wants for us. God, how many of you have found out that not all of your life is saved yet? Have you discovered that yet? That there's like, you know, you know Jesus, you love Jesus, and you've started your journey, but suddenly you find out, yeah, the lights went on in the den, but there's some closets back here in the house. The, the light's just not on yet. And you discover that there's parts of your life that seem to have no salvation in them. And you're like, 
what's up with that? You know, and we churches, we, we can leave people standing in the front or standing in the, over the ministry teams or in their seats after they've made a decision and go, okay, our job here is done. No, it isn't. We're just starting. We're just beginning because God has just be, started his renovation in our lives. And that health and that healing and that wholeness is a part of the life that God is leading us into. And so there's so much more. You guys have heard me uh, tell the stories and read the stories from history books of how the early Christians cared for their world. That the first 200 years of the church's life, they were famous for being a caring group, not just praying for instantaneous healing, but walking with people through their problems and through their pains and trying to be there with them and, and seeing that they're cared for. I mean, I've read you the stories from the historians of when the plagues would hit Europe and the people were so afraid of catching these uh, viruses and catching these diseases that they would take their loved ones out of their house and throw them in the streets. Just take their living family members, but because they were so afraid of catching something, they would throw their bodies in the street with them still alive. If they didn't want their children, they would take their feet, especially females, when they didn't want the little girls, they would take these babies and discard them. Or if they were not perfect, they would take them and discard them in the streets. And the Christian church early on was known for coming along, walking through the streets and picking up those sick, taking them back to their own homes, and caring for them at their own detriment. They could have caught the disease too. Taking them back to their own houses and caring for them. Taking the babies that were discarded and bringing them into their homes and caring for them. God cares about the whole picture of health. And he has sent his church to care for it all. It's not just that divine healing moment touch, but it's also caring. It's not an either or, it's a both and. The church should be about both. We should be about praying for the sick and praying for the broken, for God to come now and also walking with people who are in it and being there with them and loving them and caring for them. That's the call of the church and that's the health that God has called us to bring to the world. I mean, what if we, what if we did this? Would, what if we became a church of, you know, six, 700, there's about 600 people that call this church home. What if, what if we had 1,000 people who took this thing seriously of praying for people to be healed and caring for people who are not healed? What if we took that seriously as a church? What kind of difference could we make in our community? I mean, we have work to do. We have, we have a lot to do, and God has empowered us to do much in this community. We're going to be over in Acts 3. Uh, verse 1 through 10 this morning. This is a story, a great story of the early church of Peter and John headed up to the temple to pray. So let's read this and let's just, we'll take a look and see if we can learn some things about what it means to be a church that believes in healing. Acts 3 verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight in at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Father, I pray your blessing on your word today. Teach us, Lord, what it means to be a church that believes in healing. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Pray that you would come and teach us. Breathe life on your word. Come be the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter and John are headed up to pray. Uh, they had the practice, and the Jewish people had the practice of praying three times a day. So they, would, they had three meetings, one at nine, one at noon, and one at three. So they had three services, just like we did. See? And evidently, you know, Peter and John are like you guys. They like the third service. So they're headed. You're in good company, good company. You know, Peter and John are headed up to the church. Uh, I find it really interesting that they were still praying in the temple, in the Jewish temple, uh, because they went there to pray. They certainly didn't go there to make sacrifices because they knew that Jesus was the final sacrifice. Once Jesus came, there was no reason to make sacrifices on the altars anymore the way the Jewish people had been doing all these thousands of years. But they still put themselves in their culture. They didn't remove themselves they hung in there with their culture and made themselves available to their Jewish brothers there in the temple. So they continued to go and they prayed. And on the way there, they come to this gate that's outside the temple called the Beautiful Gate. And it was called that because it was beautiful. Yeah, maybe 75 feet tall, clad in gold and silver, just beautiful gate. And it was common practice for the sick the broken, the, those uh, who were invalids, uh, to sit outside those gates and beg for money, beg for food as the people went in to worship. I mean, people are no more, they're, they're very compassionate on their way into worship, right? If you're going to beg, it's a good place to do it. And so they're, they're outside, and evidently this was a common feature, I mean, a common act. This man had been going there for some time. He had been taken there more than once. This was his habit. Evidently, Peter and John, it was their habit to go and pray at this time. So they were on their way uh, there to pray. And uh, this man, you know, he, he had at least a couple of friends because a couple of friends picked him up in a litter and took him. So at least he wasn't alone. And he did have somebody that cared for him. And they took him and they would put him there and, uh, and he would beg. Uh, what are some of the things that we can learn from this that are necessary for us, I believe, here in this church to see more healings? The first one, and you have a fill-in in your hand at, actually, if you want to track along with me, uh, you can take that out, and you should have a pen, and you can do that as well. The first one is this. The first thing that must happen for us as a church to be a healing church is to know and to see that God is working. God must be working. I mean, think about this. This guy had been taken there we don't know how many times, but obviously this was not the first time. This was his habit. Peter and John had been up to the temple. Who knows how many times. Why did God touch him this time? Why this time? Peter and John may have walked by this guy, who knows, 10, 20 times. But this time was different. 
Why is one time different than all the other times? Why is it that God does something now and he didn't do it earlier? Why does he not do it now and he's waiting to do it later? Why? You know, I have a really complex theological answer for this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Why? I mean, why did God wait 400 years to send Moses to get the children of Israel out of Egypt? Why did it take 400 years? Why did it take decades for Abraham and Sarah to get the son that they had prayed for and prayed for and prayed for? Why? Why did it take 20 years for me to come to Christ? Why couldn't I have come to Christ much earlier? I wish I had. I mean, I was robbed of 20 years, I feel like, you know, of knowing him. And why did I wait? Why did I wait 20 years? Why did it take that long for me? I can't answer that. I know this. I know that as we consider healing, there's something we need to settle, and that is that God, you know, the God of healing, he pretty much does what he wants to do, (laughs) when he wants to do it. Psalms 115 and verse 3 says it very clearly and succinctly. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. I mean, and there's a part of that that we get frustrated with. And we're like, God, why not now? You know, why aren't you doing this now? And as we move into wanting to see God touch more people and to heal more people, maybe we need to kick back and relax just a little bit and say, you know, it is God who does the healing. You know, sometimes it's about timing. God, God sees things so differently than we do. We're very myopic because our pain and our suffering is very personal. And so our lives revolve around that which affects us. Whereas God, he certainly cares about you. God has this view that we can't appreciate of eternity. When he looks out in his viewfinder, he doesn't just see us. He sees from the very beginning to the way it's going to be in the end. And somehow all of that works together for good. Somehow he weaves every bit of that together. And so when I, when I pray about healing, when I ask God, you know, I, I need to ask, are you doing this right now? Evidently before when Peter and John went by this guy, God wasn't doing it then. He wasn't doing it then, but they had eyes to see when he was. And you know, for us, Vineyard, we want to ask God to give us eyes to see what the Father is doing. John 5, Jesus said, and if Jesus said this, how much more us? I only do what I see the Father doing. The Father is working. He's working into now, and I only do what I see him doing. Peter and John evidently looked down, saw this guy, and said, the Father is working. Right now, the Father is at work and reached down to touch him. How many people do we walk by every day in our life and just go right by them because we've seen them a hundred times, a thousand times, and we're not praying, Lord, are you doing anything? Let me know what you're doing. Show me. I wonder how many invitations we miss. We learned in the prayer series that there are some things God will not do if we don't join him. How many times are we invited into? He's wanting to do something. I mean, God has invited you into it. And I mean, Jesus told his disciples to keep praying. You know why? Because there are times when it looks like nothing's happening. And Jesus told his disciples, you're going to run into these times when you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you're looking and you're going, I don't see anything. And Jesus says, don't give up. 
keep praying. Keep praying and keep your eyes open for what the Father is doing. For us to see things happen, we have to know that God's doing something. He's doing it right then, right now. And you know what? God is doing some pretty amazing things in the world. I mean, American Christianity, you know, I mean, I'm as redneck and American as you get, all right? 220 years of Irish redneck right here, you know? Right, 220 years of my ancestors from Dublin, Ireland coming here and uh, been in this area for 200 years. I mean, but I have to tell you, Christianity is much bigger than America. Christianity is not American. You know that, right? You know that. Because in the global world, when we get out beyond America, we go to the global south or the majority world, we get out of here and we head to Africa, or we head to South America, or even into Asia, there are amazing things going on. We have a poverty of experience here, many of us do, where we sell God short and we don't look for what the Father is doing, and so we don't hear His invitation into it. I want to read a couple of reports to you. One is a by a guy named Donald McGavran, and if you're a pastor, you know who he is. He's kind of a church growth guy. And uh, when, you know, pastors and leaders always look for church growth. You know, if you have this bulletin like this, and, you know, if you do church this way, your church is going to grow to 9 million, you know, that kind of thing. And so we're, we're always, you know, we're always wanting to see the church grow and all. And then Donald McGavran comes along after having gone to, you know, out to the world and looked at the church's worldwide and he says this signs and wonders are among the most prominent factors drawing people to faith in Christ in the majority world today with healings and exorcisms proving particularly effective in other words hey pastor you want your church to grow cast a demon out yeah that'll cause people to want to come to church you know but over in in Africa And in the global south, people are getting freed from oppressive spirits. People are being healed. And the people who are out in the community who are looking for some relief are going, the church has relief. Now, indeed, it involves also caring for people and not just the spontaneous divine healing of the moment, but it does have that too. And because it's not our experience does not mean God does not want to do it. Is the Father doing this in the... Uh, I don't know how they get these statistics. Let me just introduce you to a fabulous book like I do here often. I always say this is my favorite book and my favorite, my favorite author. This is Craig Kaner, wonderful theologian. Uh, Craig went out and I don't know how many years it took him to put two volumes called Miracles together. He went out. This is the best documented evidence of healing in the world I've ever seen. Two volumes of it, documented documented, as well as historical and theologically based, uh, you know, all of the information put together in two volumes. He said that in the U.S. and in Latin America, Africa, and Asia, you take those groups, statistics say 202,141,082 people have witnessed a divine healing. You say, well, I haven't. Well, 202 million other people have. We discount that because I haven't experienced it. 202 million people? I have a poverty of experience? And 202 million people have experienced healing and touch? 
Is this part of what God has offered to his church to give to those who are hurting? Is the Father doing that? Is he doing it here? And indeed, you know, it's not like we can fabricate it. Just like Peter and and John walked by that guy, who knows how many times that particular day they saw the Father was doing it. Our challenge is, will we be willing to see what the Father's doing? Are you open to letting the Father say, now's the time. Today's the day for this person. So the Father must be at work. God must be at work. Your second one there is, we must participate. We must participate. I mean, God could have healed that guy, right? I mean, he could have just looked down and said, look at this poor guy. You know, he deserves to be healed, or not even if he deserves it, I want to. I'm God. Bang. Heal him. Instead, Peter and John walked by this guy who knows how many times until Peter and John looked down at this guy and they participate in what the Father's doing. There are some things that will not happen if we do not participate. You hear that, church? If we don't participate with God, imagine this, some people will not be touched, and possibly some people will not be healed. If the church doesn't do what it is called to do, there are some people who will not get healed if we don't participate with God, the Father. That's a heavy statement, but I don't know how to draw, I don't know how to draw any other conclusion. But God, it's a glorious thing to be invited into this with God. He wants us to be a part of it. We must be a part of it. This guy didn't even ask to be healed. <laughs> I mean, he didn't even ask. You know, I mean, he, didn't, he wanted some money. He just wanted a little gold. He wanted some change. He wanted some food. That's all he wanted. He didn't ask to be healed. He didn't look for it. He didn't expect it. But that's just like God to give us more than we ever expected. I mean, Ephesians 3 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in who? Us. Us. To him, see, it's at work in us. It's his power. It's at work in us. But it's for his glory, not us. But it's in the church. To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, it's for every age group, for everyone, all generations, and forever and ever. There is no dispensation on God's wonderful goodness. It didn't die out with the apostles. God's goodness is still here. God still loves to touch people, to love people, to heal people. He's the same loving God he's always been. He asked for money. God gave him legs. What a God. What a God. He came with a couple of friends, and by the time this is over, he's inside the gates. He was outside the gates. He was excluded. He couldn't even go in because he wasn't wasn't acceptable. By the time God finishes touching him, he's inside the gates dancing and worshiping God. And he has a community now. He has a body. He has a family. He doesn't have two friends. He has a church. That's our God. But people don't get that if we don't participate. God is about more than just relieving the pain. He's about putting us in family, putting us together with people who care and love us and who want to walk with us in this total healing of our lives in every area. The power of healing was Christ, but the hand was Peter's. Do you get this? 
The power was Christ, but the hand was Peter's hand. And you know what? When you leave from here, there are going to be people out there who are going to be touched by Christ because you stopped and extended a hand to them. And they are waiting for you to extend that hand. That's the way it's going to come. Through you. Through you. Five weeks ago, I read this scripture as we started our prayer series, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow workers. God has invited us to work with him. I know that's intimidating, but that's the invitation of God to come and join him in doing his good work here on the earth. All of us, all of us. Peter had to reach out his hand to see that what the Father willed would be completed. I mean, the question, you know, is am I available to God? That's the question for us to ask this morning. Am I available? Tomorrow morning or even now, in just a few minutes, you guys are going to head out. Many of you are going to head to a restaurant. Are you going to head home? Are you going to hang out with some friends? You're going out into a world that is looking for God and looking for a hand that is extended. And there are some people who are not going to see the love of God or the touch of God until you extend your hand. What a glorious invitation. Am I available? How do you know if the Father's doing something? How do you join Him? I know this is a bit subjective to say, but I do want to give you just, just a few clues. You know, one of the things that we see in Jesus' life is when He did, when He touched people, when He healed people, also when He fed people, when He miraculous feedings and all that happened, he had this sense of compassion that would flow over him. Uh, there's a great word in the Greek, you know, that just describes how his insides, like inside of his, down in his bowels, he would just cramp up. The description is amazing of how he would hurt. Have you ever hurt for someone that you really loved? You have hurt so much that you got cramps? I mean, if you're old, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. I know what that feels like. When you hurt inside that feeling. Sometimes this wave of compassion will come over us as followers of Jesus when we're talking to someone or we went past someone and we go, why am I feeling that? Maybe that's the compassion of Christ. Maybe that is God's way of getting your attention right then. This is what the Father is doing. Right now, He is wanting to touch them and so His compassion now is being poured out on you. We need to pay attention to things like that. When we feel that wooing, that call, that pull, you're driving down the road and suddenly someone's face just comes across your mind and you haven't talked to them in some time and you go, why in the world would I even think of that person? Call Tim Holt. (laughs) Hey, Tim, is everything okay? Uh, Oh, really? Well, let me pray for you. Have you ever done that and found out that you were so timely with calling someone? And you could just go, man, I'm so glad I followed through on that inclination, that sense. I mean, how how else do we think God's going to speak to us? You know, banner plane, that would be nice. (laughs) But he could, I mean, he could, you know. If you see that, let me know. That's pretty overt. (laughs) But, um, you know, you have a dream, someone comes to mind, you feel compassion, you can't get away, you walk away from someone and you just feel like a magnetic pull It's just pulling you back and pulling you back. And then we followers of Christ... We need to recognize that God is inviting us into what he's doing. 
Imagine a church if we all did this. Now you may say, man, Tim, that is just not my uh, tradition. You know, well, let me give you a Methodist example. Okay. You know, that's not the back, that's not, uh, that's not, the, that's not my background. You know, I come from a denomination that just doesn't, uh, doesn't believe that kind. Of, I'm not saying the Methodists don't because you're getting ready to hear his example right now. In 1920, not the biggest year for revival in the, in the Methodist church either, right? In 1920, there were a couple of ministers in Ghana, the country of Ghana, and they went to pray for a disabled girl. These were Methodist missionaries. They found out that this girl was disabled, and the two missionaries' names were John Checky and David Mandasoza. I probably butchered those names. I apologize, Richard. And... Uh, commanded her and they went in they went in around her bed and simply commanded her to get out of the bed they said rise she jumped straight up out of the bed and these are the words out of her mouth Jesus Christ has healed me I am no longer a cripple hallelujah hallelujah like that 1920 Methodist ministers Man, if the Methodist in 1920 can do this, the Vineyard can do it in 2013. Because we believe in this stuff and we love this stuff, right? Come on now. You know, we have to join him. We see that it's God's activity, his working, and then our willingness to participate. Now, what don't we need? What isn't necessary? What isn't necessary to see divine healing? Your next feeling is this. What isn't necessary is for us to be great people <laughs> to be something special I mean look at Acts 3 9 through 12 when all the people saw him walking and praising God they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him while the beggar held on to Peter and John what a picture all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's colonnade when Peter saw this, it attracted a crowd, right? So everybody's looking at Peter and John. Wow, these guys are special. He said to them, here's Peter's response. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. It's not about how great you are. It's not about your own power or your own amount of godliness. It's God. It's His power. So when we go, I wish God would use me. I'm just not worthy, true. I'm not worthy. I'm just not able to. False. Uh, I don't have the power. You don't. He does. It's about Him. It's about Him. We read that scripture last week. God's perfection, you know, God's strength is perfected in our weakness. In our weakness. The source of healing isn't us. It's not about how great we are, how perfect we are, how holy we are. It's about how great He is and who He is. The divine healing comes. In the early church, before it became uh, so much more worldly, Every believer believed that God can move through them in the early church. Before we had the great men of God and the great women of God, and even some places don't even believe in great women of God. You know, women can't do anything. What a bunch of crap. But 
Sorry. And uh, I mean, God came to set the captives free. There is no Jew, nor Gentile, nor male, nor female, but all, we are all one in Christ Jesus now, liberated. God uses every single one of us, and that's the beauty. But there was a day when God, where the church believed that every member could go out and heal. Every member would go out and cast out demons. There was a time when the church lived this out daily. They cared for the sick, and they also prayed for the sick. It was a day when every member did that. I pray for the day when that's again. Can you imagine the change in our community if this church, if every one of us left from here going, show me what you're doing. God, I can't wait. I want to join you. Show me, show me. Show me who to pray for. Show me who to love. Show me who to be there with. Show me, Lord. I want to join you. Just give me an opportunity. Give me a chance. Because it's not about how great you are. It's about how great he is and his work through you. In 1974, a Christian anthropologist, a guy named Jacob Lowen, was doing Bible translation down in Panama to the Choco people. And they've been translating the scriptures, and uh, they, their leader, the host of their home, uh, Aureliano, here I go again with my redneck pronunciation, Aureliano was dying from what he thought to be pneumonia, and what they all thought was pneumonia, and evidently was pneumonia. And so uh, Jacob sent to the village for the proper medicine in order to see that he was, that she would be healed. And, and, uh, and the messenger came back and said, there is no medicine in the village for pneumonia. There's none. And Orleano's wife was just getting worse and worse and worse. Now, Jacob, Jacob knew James 5, 14 through 15. He knew the scripture because he had translated that scripture, which says that if you call, is any of you sick? Call for the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and, and the prayer offered in faith will raise them up, and if they have any sins, they will be forgiven them. He knew that scripture because he had translated it in the Shoko language. But he didn't believe it. He knew it. But his experience, his poverty of experience, hindered him from believing it. But yet, his love for his host wife compelled him to pray. Well, he calls the local church of the Choco people together, and they pray around her bed. And indeed, she got a little bit better. She got a little better, and, uh, but within 24 hours, she got worse, and she was dying again. Well, the rest of the church there and Orleano looked at his church and Jacob Lowen and his friend went back to doing their work and he calls, Orleano calls the church together. Those simple people in that church there in Panama together and they gathered around his wife's bed and they prayed for her and she was healed. So when Jacob and David the other guy came back to the house. <laughs> when they walked in to see how his wife was doing, she was in the kitchen fixing a meal. And so Jacob and David look at Orleano, and they, he goes, I can't help but ask, you didn't wait for us. You didn't wait for us to pray. <laughs> and he said this, it doesn't work when you and David are in the circle. <laughs> I mean, these are the big guys, right? The anthropologists, the ones who are starting the church. You and David don't really believe. It's not about how great you are. It's not about how great you are or how spiritually astute you are. God wants to work through you right where you are. There is no specific holy healer. There is the church of Jesus Christ that he has placed his spirit in.
our founder, John Wimber, who was quite a character. He never wanted to be called an apostle. If there was anybody, really, I think most of us who knew him or know of him know that if there ever was an apostle, John was one. But some, one, one meeting, somebody said, John, you should call yourself an apostle. And John responded with these words, I haven't even been an epistle of Christ. Now you want to make me an apostle of Christ? People ask me if I'm taking America for Christ. I can't even take my own body for Christ. I'm not anyone special. I'm just a fat man trying to get to heaven. (laughs) We're all just servants of Jesus. It's all about Him. We're here to do His ministry, not our ministry. In the vineyard, we all get to play because we all are called to do the stuff that Jesus did, the works of the kingdom. It's really about him. It's about Jesus, not about how great we are. Look at this passage in Acts 3 and verse 16. Peter says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. As you can all see. Do you believe that Jesus healed? Do you believe that he can heal? Do you believe that he will heal? Healing is not dependent on how great you are. And your last fill in there is it's not dependent on how great your prayers are. (laughs) For us to pray great prayers. It's not dependent. That's not necessary for us to have great prayers. I've read this, I don't know how many times in this church, Matthew 6, 7, and Jesus said, When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Like, Tim, you've read that scripture a hundred times. When are you going to quit? When we stop doing it. You know, it's not about the amount of words that we have in our prayers. I mean, we think sometimes if we talk longer, if we talk louder, if we use bigger words, if we can quote more scripture, then maybe God will touch this person. I, you want me to be honest with you? You know why we pray those kind of prayers? Because we want the person to be impressed with us. It's not getting God's attention. It's us wanting the person we're praying for to think we're the holy man or the holy woman, the great person. We know how to pray. Well, that has nothing to do with the healing. Jesus does the healing. And maybe God wants to talk to us while we're praying for people. Have you realized yet you can't listen when you're talking? So less words when we pray gets you off the hook. Less words and it gives you an opportunity to hear the Spirit say to you, here's how I want you to pray. Here's what I want you to say. Maybe they could even point out their, their hurt and their pain is caused by this Maybe they want to lead you. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to lead you in that direction. And as long as we're making a big deal out of it, we can't even hear what God says. Let yourself off the hook. There is no perfect prayer. There's not this magic mantra, you know, where this prayer that you pray and it's got to be the perfect prayer where I blew it with my prayer. No, you didn't. Your prayer, the way you say it, it's probably not going to make any difference, you know. Let Jesus do his healing through you. I love the prayer of just, Lord, show them how much you love them. And then be quiet for a little bit. I mean, I, I walked out services today and there were three people. One had terminal cancer. Uh, just found out this last week. And we ended up praying. And another one, you know, was in a wheelchair. And 
more things and I'm like church we just come around people like that we love them where they are and we pray we pray for the kingdom to come for the touch of Jesus and I have no magic prayer for that there is no magic prayer there is only the power and the grace of Jesus Christ Acts 4, 13 through 14, the same story as it's followed through. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were, what, had the right words, were the great holy men, were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Which one do you want, to be known for your great vocabulary or for someone to say they've been with Jesus? Man, we need to be known for being with Jesus because that's where the healing comes from. That's where the help comes from. Be yourself. Pray your way with your words. Just be comfortable in it and let Jesus do his work. And God is not looking for a great person. He's not looking for the perfect prayer. He's looking for a willing church that loves people the way Jesus loved them is willing to look for what he's doing and joining him and seeing that it's done. That's the church that believes in healing. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.